This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, please, to John 5. We'll be looking at John 5 and John 12. From our earliest days, we long to fit in. Um, I've got to go back to my junior high, high school days to kind of set this up. I, uh, I attended a very small, private junior high school. There were seven kids in my grade. And then uh, when I went to high school, I went to a very large public high school in Green Bay, Green Bay Preble, 460 in my graduating class. Um, there were clearly some things I wasn't up to speed on as to how students operate because of the seven I was around for fifth through eighth grade and then moving to uh, a very large school and a large class. And one of those was the law of the backpack. I, uh, when I went to, to public high school my freshman year, I was decked out in my stonewashed jeans. I don't remember if they were tight-rolled at that time or not, but I had a backpack to match. <laughs> the backpack was stonewashed, and it matched my jeans. Now, it never dawned on me, it never occurred to me that this is not how you do things when, when you're in high school because I was unfamiliar with the cult of Jansport. <laughs> Every student had a Jansport backpack. It was blue or it was green. There was nothing else. I didn't notice it. My first day, my first week, my first month. I, I had no idea. Didn't notice it. I was in study hall one day, and a student pointed it out. He said, nice backpack, and then laughed at me. That's when I realized I was way behind the eight ball. And so, to fit in, I went and got a Jansport backpack. Now, as kids, you've got stories, right? Trying to fit in. Who's your social circle? How do you need to act? How do you need to behave? What do you need to say in order to fit in with that? We think that goes away once we move into adulthood. It doesn't go away. It just takes on a little more sophisticated look to it. We still long to fit in. And there is a temptation for us to tweak, to tweak ourselves in order to win over the approval of that circle we're around. Of course, there is biblical precedent for this. I mean, the, the one that jumps to mind probably is Peter, approached by a slave girl. Jesus is in the middle of his trial. Hey, you know him, right? And he lies. No, 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 no. I don't know him. There's no shortage of stories where this has happened. And it conveys the craving that each of us has to receive the acceptance of those around us. Now, Jesus knew this was an issue. He knew it was a temptation. He saw it. He experienced it. He even taught on it. Let me show it to you. John chapter 5. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another 
and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Flip over, keep a finger there, but flip over to John chapter 12. This sort of thing happens again. I'm going to start reading in verse second half of verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So from this text, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to unpack four problems with craving acceptance. And then I'm going to conclude with an antidote to it. Four problems with craving acceptance. And you know, sometimes we put this under the guise of being relevant. We want to be relevant. We want to be able to build bridges with people. There's a fine line between that and intelligibility. Yeah, we want to be intelligible to those around us. We want them to understand what we're saying, what we're about. But it doesn't take long before that has crossed over into now I am no longer faithfully manifesting, incarnating my true identity as a believer of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at four problems with craving acceptance and then we'll conclude with the antidote to it. Number one, craving acceptance can be a barrier to saving faith. Jesus himself said it, that passage in chapter 5, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe? Jesus is implying they don't. Maybe they can't. The desire for acceptance can be a barrier to saving faith. Jesus' parable of the farmer is illustrative. You know, the farmer goes out and scatters seed, goes everywhere, path, rocky soil, weedy soil, good soil. The seed that falls on the rocky soil springs up quickly. And then it dies, and Jesus says it's those who receive the word initially with excitement, exuberance, but when ridicule comes from their friends, when persecution comes, they fall away. Jesus understood that following him would be too costly for some people. Enduring the mockery and the scorn of our social circles will be too much for saving faith to take root. Craving the acceptance of those around us can erect a barrier to saving faith. Now, Jesus draws attention to this another way by basically telling us how someone should have responded when in that situation. When confronted with the mocking derision of their social circles, Jesus says in Luke 18, he says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children For the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Following Jesus, saving faith may require us to endure the severing of human relationships. Now, Jesus' words here are the call, the ideal, someone who 
successfully scales the barrier of human approval and gets over it. But he's also saying craving acceptance can be a barrier to saving faith. Now, why is that? Why is it our desire to receive the approval of our social circles can be a barrier to saving faith? Well, it violates the first and greatest commandment to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the most important thing in your life. One of the interesting things that you see with Jesus is, and he does this with prospective followers, is that he, he challenges them to leave behind the very thing that is most important to them in that moment. So for the rich young ruler, you remember what Jesus said? He says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, then come follow me. What's he doing? Jesus is putting his finger on the one thing in this guy's life that's more important to him than Jesus is. And Jesus does this countless times. He's got the Old Testament law expert that bursts the parable of the Good Samaritan. The question was asked, what must I do to have eternal life? And he breaks out into the very famous story of the Samaritan. Basically, Jesus is saying, listen, the way in which you treat those who believe and behave differently, whatever is driving that is more important to you than I am. In every one of these cases, there was someone or something that's more important to that person than the glory of Jesus. This is why it's such an insidious thing. Craving acceptance and approval puts something other than Jesus in the place that ought to be reserved for him alone. So being an approval junkie is not an amusing idiosyncrasy. (laughs) It's idolatry. Sometimes it becomes a barrier to faith. My wife and I uh, have some family friends of ours, and and they grew up in a, a certain faith tradition, but never were never converted to Christ uh, during their time. In their, in their young adult years, um, they, they heard a pastor preach the gospel to them, and they responded in repentance and faith. But their families didn't respond well to that. Neither of them, neither of their families responded well. In fact, it got so hot that there was no Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner for a while. They were shunned out of the family and I was talking with them about that, and they said, yeah, you know, that was hard. That was really hard, but it was the right thing to do. And they said, we got a new family when we, when we were part of the church. We got a new family. We got new mothers. We got new fathers. We got new brothers. We got new sisters in the family of, of Christ. It's a marvelous picture, marvelous story of what Jesus is driving at here. In that moment, is the seed going to continue to be fruitful? Will it continue to grow? Will it peter out? Second, craving acceptance creates invisible and inaudible believers. Over in chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So craving acceptance hinders our evangelistic witness. Wanting the approval of those around us can cause radio silence. We stay quiet in front of others. You know, a really good barometric question to ask 
is, is a very simple one. Do, do the lost people in your life know you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ? Do the lost people in your life know you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ? In many ways, that is much harder for you than it is for me. And I pray for you with this. Because for me, the topic of conversation with my neighbors comes up, what do you do for a living? It always happens. It always happens. So once they've asked that question, they're done for. (laughs) We're going there. I remember being at a social gathering of some kind. It was not put on by the church or Christian group, but I I don't remember why I was there, connections to somebody. And, uh, you know, someone came up to me and, had the you know, choice beverage in hand and looked like he was in a great time. And, and he asked the question, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, thank you for asking. I'm a pastor. Oh, the look of disappointment that came across that guy's face. <laughs> the, the look on his face said it all. He says, we have nothing else to talk about. It's harder for you. It's harder for you. Do the lost people in your life Know you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Have you figured out a way to raise that in their minds? One of Jesus' metaphors for Christians is light. We're light. I was sleeping in a hotel room earlier this year, when, uh, and when the lights went out, when I turned the lights out for, to go to bed, there was a light that didn't go out, which was noticed immediately. It was that light on the smoke alarm. Uh, when, when, when the lights were on, I didn't even know that was there. It was dull by comparison. But when it was dark, uh, the, the, the light on the smoke alarm was much brighter than I would have liked it to be. When Jesus says Christians are light, one of the things he's saying is that you're noticeable. You don't blend in. Now, you don't, it, it's, not that, <laughs> it's not that you stand out in a like performance-oriented, I'm going to record the best TikTok video you've ever seen kind of thing. Because what does light do? It illuminates other things by it. What did Jesus say? For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They did not confess it. You're called to be noticeable, but not on our own merits, but because of our confession. By light, you see other things. I mean, the greatest compliment maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus could say to you is, you know, I noticed you talk a lot about Jesus. He must be pretty important to you. Maybe the greatest compliment anyone can ever pay you. Cravings for acceptance Hide our light under a bushel. No. I'll let my light shine. Third, craving acceptance comes from fear and love. We'll do a little bit of biblical counseling with this one. Why did the authorities not confess their belief in Jesus as the Messiah? Fear. Fear of the Pharisees, it says. But as usual, with incredible depth of insight, the Bible pulls away the layers to expose it There's something else driving that. For fear, they kept quiet because what? 
They loved the glory that comes from man. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. If I love human approval, I will fear rejection. If I love monetary security, I'll fear losing my job. If I love warm weather, I'll fear snow in May. If I love this person's opinion of me, I'll fear disappointing him or her. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. An unhealthy fear, which really is most of our fear, comes from misplaced love or disordered love. Disordered fear can't help but spring from disordered love. So when love isn't quite where it should be, or it is where it should be, it's just present in inordinate amount, we will fear the loss of its object. So your fears, listen to your fears, your anxieties, your worries, they tell you something about what you love. Now, is it entirely wrong to want to be liked? No. God hardwired us to need to be loved. I think the problems arise when the scales get imbalanced. When my need for acceptance is overly intense, that's when my fear of losing it will dominate my life. Let me be just very blunt about this. If, if you need what people can give you, they are in control. If you need what people can give you, they are in control. And you're going to fear them. So fear says something about what we love. Now, in the context of craving acceptance, what is it we love? According to Jesus, what is it we love? The glory that comes from man. So, fourth, craving acceptance is anchored in pride. Jesus has a very interesting way of describing the craving for acceptance. He couches it in the language of glory. In John 5, acceptance is glory from one another. In John 12, it's loving the glory that comes from man. Let's do some word studies on this. In, in the original, the word for glory, New Testament Greek, the word for glory is doxa, meaning praise. It's the word we get doxology from. So another way to think about this is craving acceptance is the desire to see others sing a doxology in your honor. Now, when you put it that way, <laughs> craving acceptance becomes kind of gnarly, doesn't it? Again, the Bible has an incredible ability to pull the layers back, exposes things as uglier than, than anyone imagines. So do you see why this is so sinister? Why craving acceptance is something that hinders saving faith? Because when you put craving acceptance in terms of worship, well, this becomes so much more than a personality quirk that someone may have. It's a serious spiritual condition. Now, to make this more graphic, let's go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament word for glory is kavod. It means weight or heavy. Craving acceptance is really the desire to be treated by others as important, consequential, weighty, heavy, glorious. Buried underneath the layers of praise addiction is this dark voice that says, I am important and I wish to remain that way. 
Do you hear the voice of pride behind the face of craving acceptance? Every now and then I've I've met someone who uses the catchphrase, I don't take myself too seriously. If, If what they're saying is a genuine representation of how they approach life, there is incredible, incredible wisdom. I don't take myself too seriously. I don't take myself too seriously. In other words, you don't need to sing a doxology in my honor. So do you see how much Jesus has to say about craving acceptance? It's much more than an idiosyncrasy or a personality quirk. It's a spiritual issue. So what is the solution? What is the antidote to this? Review the verses. John chapter 5. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? John chapter 12. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The problem We love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus' words give us the solution. The solution to craving acceptance is to love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man. What is the glory that comes from God? In the verses that lead up to this, I read this at the beginning of the, the message, There are two different quotations from the book of Isaiah. Jesus has the life and the ministry of Isaiah on the brain as he's discussing what's unfolding within this community of people. So we have to understand what what is Isaiah? Who is Isaiah? Isaiah spent 30 plus years in a fruitless ministry. He was ignored He was scorned. He was rejected by the people to whom he spoke. He was Israel's pastor. Okay, Israel's pastor. Isaiah experienced zero social acceptance from the people. And it was said that this pastor was hated so much by the people, they cut down a tree, they hollowed out the trunk, they stuck Isaiah inside it, and then cut it and him in half. Question. If you were in his shoes, would you have endured 30 plus years of this? Tell you what, I'm out the first day. But he didn't. Wrap your head around that for a minute. How does somebody endure 30 plus years of this? How does someone do that? Jesus answered that question in John 12. Everything goes back to Isaiah chapter 6. This is Isaiah's first engagement with vision of God. Let me read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. 
And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. How does Isaiah endure 30 plus years in a fruitless ministry? How does he endure the constant derision of his social circles. Isaiah was given a breathtaking, jaw-dropping, heart-pounding vision of the glory of God. And you know what the result was? People became less awesome by comparison. He loved the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man. Isaiah may have died a tragic death, but he lived free from cravings for acceptance. The glory of God captured his imagination. God was infinitely more interesting to him than any of those who had the power to give or withhold their acceptance of him. The antidote to craving acceptance is to see and pursue the breathtaking, jaw-dropping, heart-pounding vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When that happens, people will seem less awesome by comparison. C.S. Lewis knew about this. In a sermon he preached called The Weight of Glory, He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're too amazed with other people's thoughts and words. Stephen Curtis Chapman, a song he wrote 20 some odd years ago, took Lewis's thoughts and kind of put them into modern day jargon. When he wrote, I'm playing Game Boy standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. I'm eating candy sitting at a gourmet feast. I'm waiting in a puddle when I could be swimming in the ocean. Tell me, what's the deal with me? Wake up and see the glory. The antidote to craving acceptance is to see and pursue the breathtaking, jaw-dropping, heart-pounding vision of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When that happens, people will seem less awesome by comparison. Let's pray. And I want to give you a moment to pray quietly. This topic is a fairly easy one to understand, I think, but it's probably incredibly difficult to live out. And it's getting more difficult. 
what we believe and how we behave as Christians is becoming more and more foreign and strange to the world we inhabit. Peter tells us we're foreigners, strangers, exiles in this world, and the temptation to compromise in order to find acceptance can be overpowering. So take a moment to pray. Pray the Lord would show you his glory in the face of Jesus Christ so the people will seem less awesome by comparison. So when that happens, you are freed from needing people and you are freed in order to truly love them. Take a moment and pray that. You might have someone in your life who's in bondage to the whispers of others. Someone who needs to be freed from these intense cravings for acceptance. Take a moment to pray for them. Lord, we are a fearful people and that fear can drive us to do some things that in the end are not for your glory and for our good. We can long to fit in, to find acceptance with our social circles in an inordinate way. And it springs from a desire that It's just too intense for the acceptance, the approval of those who are around us, particularly in this day and age. I pray, Lord, you'd show us where those things have taken root in our lives. We know, God, that this is not something we have to live with in guilt, that you forgive, you cleanse, you restore. You just have to look at Peter. In order to get us there, God, I do pray that you give us a vision of the glory, the resplendent glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, where he has become boring, I pray that you would make him infinitely more interesting than anyone or anything else. Give us Isaiah's vision. And may we stand in awe of him. We 
pray these things through our Savior's name. Amen.